Welcome to the best kept secret video cast and podcast from Centricity. If you're a B2B service professional, use our five-step process to go from the grind of chasing every sale to keeping your pipeline full with prospects knocking on your door to buy from you. We give you the freedom of time and a life outside of your business. Each episode features an executive from a B2B services company sharing their provocative perspective on an opportunity that many of their clients are missing out on. It's how we teach our clients to get executive decision makers to buy without being salesy or spammy. Here's our host, the co-founder and CEO of Centricity, Jay Kingley. I'm Jay Kingley, co-founder and CEO of Centricity. Welcome to another episode of our Best Kept Secret podcast, where I'm happy to welcome Keith Scandone, co-founder, CEO of O3 World, a customer experience consultancy where they provide digital strategy, user experience, and development services to enterprise-level companies. And Keith is based in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia, PA. Welcome, Keith. Thank you so much, Jay. I'm glad to be here. All right. Thanks so much. You know, Keith, one of the things that I am constantly amazed at is when I interact you know, whether it's in person, over the phone, online, with large enterprise companies that you think would know better. Sometimes the user experience, you just want to facepalm and say, really, guys, what is it that so many companies get wrong about the customer experience journey? I think it's just sort of alignment and connection. So alignment internally, number one, about the priorities uh, are all the same. I think that's a really, really big thing, um, kind of breaking down some of the political silos that exist inside of organizations. Um, and then just basically consistency. I mean, that's really what you know customer journey is all about, that they have a consistent experience, whether it's online, whether it's on the phone, whether it's at a store. Uh, so I think just sort of a lack of alignment and then just a lack of consistency in, in the follow through. Do you think, Keith, that this is more of an organizational issue that as companies get bigger, these silos inevitably form and communication inevitably deteriorates? Or is it a lack of knowledge that people really aren't trained well enough to understand how to think about the customer journey. So it becomes unfortunately an afterthought. How, how do you attribute, or maybe there's a third point that I don't even understand. Yeah, no, it's a great point. And again, it depends on the, it, it depends on the organization and such. Um, you know, first of all, a lot of this is based in technology. I mean, technology is, is, is created to, in a lot of ways, create operational efficiencies. Well, Technology moves at such a fast pace these days. So sometimes, especially if you're a large organization or a small one, frankly, it's just hard to kind of pivot that quickly with new technology. And the, the, maybe the larger, like if you're a smaller company, you may not have the money or the resources. If you're a bigger company, just turning that ship, it just might be a lot more difficult. So um, sometimes that is, uh, sometimes that's the case. Sometimes, honestly, Jay, it's just, um, this is like cultural or just kind of follow through. It's, um, you know, if you have turnover inside of an organization, you know, this is still a people game, even though you have, um, you know, technologies maybe that can facilitate a lot of these experiences. Still, if you all of a sudden have your your head of customer experience or your head of marketing or, you know, some of these key roles, there's constant turnover. It's hard to then get them trained and get them back sort of in the flow of things. So I think it's a people thing and a cultural thing and, and then certainly a technology. They're probably the, the three main, um, I, I'd say, sort of roadblocks uh, for, for success. Now, given how important this is and how difficult apparently for so many it is, 
What do you think these companies should be doing that they're not doing today? Well, I think that the biggest thing, and I can say this as a, a CEO myself, I think you really need to take a step back and look at yourself in the mirror. And I think that's a that's the thing that you need to do personally as a leader. But then I think certainly um, I think you need to do more holistically as an organization. Uh, you know, the, the the world, as I said, technology not only moves uh, so quickly, but what's what's happened in the last year kind of proves that we, um, you know, ingest and digest information much, much differently. Uh, and the cultural ties and how we create uh, connections with, um, you know, customers, clients, whatever has, has, you know, dramatically changed. So I think that we have got to be willing to take a step back and listen to our customers, maybe a little bit more, listen to our employees a little bit more, um, and just kind of listen to what's happening in the, you know, in the world. And I think that just because you were a successful, um, a member of the C-suite prior to COVID doesn't mean that the same rules apply. So I think really kind of taking a step back, I think really listening to, um, you know, what's happening, you know, with your company and with your employees and with your customers, I think that's the most important thing, just because I do know that, again, the connection with your, your end user has, has really adjusted and changed over the last you know, year plus. Right. Now, Keith, you know, maybe um, you could share an example. And, and one that's on my mind is, you know, the pandemic had everything so shut down. And then as vaccinations happen, things start opening up. So uh, a few, uh, literally a few months ago, uh, I, after like a year and a half of never going on an airplane, I got on an airplane and boy, it reminded me of why is it so hard? Do you have any examples of where, you know, you would point, you know, whether airline or anything else where you would say, this is where it's breaking down. Yeah, absolutely. I'll give you a couple of examples. So you say airline. Um, I think JetBlue is a good example. Uh, JetBlue, I love as an airline. Um, you know, and as you said, even during the pandemic, I mean, their their airline, they, they seemed like they had new planes, new seats. Uh, they have free internet. Um, you know, they have TV. I, I don't think that they, uh, I think they ensured that there was always at least a seat in between you and somebody else. Uh, the actual physical experience for JetBlue is amazing. It's probably, you know, uh, my, my favorite airline and, and, and their rates are always seemingly pretty affordable. Um, but their technology is just an absolute mess. I mean, the, their website um, and their app seem to crash on me every single time I, I use it. Um, their live chat, while it exists, typically is not very helpful to get me what I, what I need. And then you can call, but the, the wait time is normally 25 to 50 minutes. And I've had to do this several times uh, over the pandemic over the last year or so. Um, and so it's a, you know, it's a real shame, especially the website. It, this is not that complicated. I mean, this day and age, it's like, it seems like they got the really hard part, right? I mean, nice planes, which cost a ton of money, very, very nice people, good rates. Um, they're being obviously very clean and very, um, aware of what's going on make sure there's like social distancing space and such, but then they're failing at the technology side. And then beyond that, Jay, I mean, I have reached out directly actually to, I don't know their titles, but like, let's say director of customer experience, director of digital CTO and no response as well. So, you know, that, that's a perfect example that, um, you know, you're just falling, you're, you're, and I've even emailed actually through the system, just like your website is throwing errors constantly and it's never really getting better. I don't hear back. I mean, that is just a completely and totally failed customer experience. And now I'm expressing not only to you, but to your audience. <laughs> so, so my voice now has been expanded, you know, who knows how many times over and a lot of, you know, um, and that's the th thing about a customer experience. If it's great, you're going to tell people. If it's really bad, you're going to tell people. It depends as an organization what side of the fence you want to be on. So 
So that's one. Um, I can give another one uh, that's actually really unique just to uh, just to the times of COVID. And that was Publix, obviously a, a supermarket. Um, and they came out with something that was going to be, I, I, I think, in many ways, at least was their intention to be great um, and to really kind of separate them. And that was basically to provide COVID shots, um, you know, uh, as being a primary sort of resource for, for COVID shots. But their, again, technology, their system was atrocious. I mean, you had to get on only a couple days a week at like 7 a.m. and just hope that a position opened up. That's a really easy thing to do, Jay. First of all, I mean, you can basically get on in the morning, you can put yourself in a queue, it can show you how many are left, or, you know, old fashioned, you can basically sign up, put yourself, send an email, and then they can send you some some appointments. And they got really destroyed um, for this. I, I, again, I commented about them on um, uh, on LinkedIn and called them out, no response. I reached out to a couple of them directly, I think, including their CEA, CEO, no response. And this was really um, a shame and a missed opportunity because they, they were doing something that could have actually been a great PR move and they just absolutely destroyed it. So it's a good point of like, if you're going to step outside of your comfort zone as to kind of what you do, and they're not known as a technology company, well, then you better be sure that you're doing it appropriately. Because like I said, you know, they say no good deed goes unpunished. Well, you know, that good deed definitely did not really help their their, their brand recognition. Um, so. So it, it, it reminds me of like an analogy, uh, take my favorite sport, uh, football, you know, you have diagrammed out an intricate running play and the line blocks correctly. The quarterback hands the ball off correctly. You get some downfield blocking the running backs, pinballing off of defenders, staying on his feet. And then he doesn't hold the, hold the ball tight enough. And someone comes and, you know, knocks it out from behind just as the goal line is in sight. I mean, they put in so much effort to getting so much right, but they leave some critical things undone and it just ruins it. You know, you have failed to score when it was right in front of you. And it's, uh, I, I think you make some great points here. So let me ask you this. If they do the types of things you're, you're telling us that are worth doing, what kinds of benefits can a company expect? Well, I think the most obvious one is just better brand loyalty. I mean, better customer loyalty. Um, you know, I think, obviously, as I said, JetBlue, I am actually more reluctant to use it now uh, just because it's, it's a challenge. And I'm just afraid that it's going to be you know, difficult to uh, check in when I need to. Or if I need to change my flight, it's going to be difficult. I have to sit on the, the phone for a long time. So um, so I think you'll definitely have more more customer loyalty, and um, you know I'll, I'll give you a, I'll give you an example of uh, and, and and restaurants are actually notorious for this. Restaurants are terrible about customer experiences in general. I mean, there's restaurants I've been to like 15, 20 times, and I show up to the hostess, the host, and it's like they they don't have any record of me ever being there before. I mean, that's just such a blatantly you know uh, silly missed opportunity, quite honestly. But there was one um, restaurant that I ate at in D.C. actually. Uh, at this point, it's like, I mean, it might be like eight years ago. Really, really nice restaurant. And, you know, in, um, in our food, there was a little wire that was, it was around Broccoli Rob. And it's what normally ties the Broccoli Rob. Those little wires were dangerous. And, you know, fortunately, we didn't cut our mouth or anything. But the way they handled it is they brought out every single dessert they have on their menu. And they filled our table with the desserts. And we obviously couldn't finish them. But they even offered that 
since we obviously couldn't finish them, would they like for us to refrigerate them overnight and we can come back the next day and pick them up or take them home? But we were going out afterwards and we, we declined. But I have told this story so many times to so many people. I've gone back to this restaurant many, many times over because, listen, they made a mistake, but they owned up to it. They were aware of it and they way overcompensated for it. So, you know, you're going to get that kind of like brand loyalty. I think that's a really, really big thing. I think also you're probably going to employ loyalty. Um, particularly if your brand is not just, you know, profit, but if your brand, brand is giving back to the community, if your, if your brand is to be more progressive overall, looking out for people, um, you know, then you're going to have, you're going to have people that work for you that are going to be prouder of you as an organization and the mission that you are part of. And certainly obviously the technology as well, because it's going to make their jobs easier, Jay. <laughs> I mean, for so many companies, the customer interaction with the employee is the brand experience. Absolutely. Well, it's the employee experience. And, you know, that's a, that's a really, really big thing. Absolutely. And so, you know, I've noticed that we, we've been in business for 16 years. And I think, you know, more than ever, we think about not just customer experience uh, for, our, for our clients, but we think about it for ourselves, employee and customer experience. And, you know, honestly, we're, you know, we're constantly working on it every single day. We're trying to improve our processes from recruiting, you know, to retention, to obviously delivery for, you know, our employees and our clients. So it's just something you have to be, it's not a set it and forget it that some of these things used to be many years ago. And I would think something else, which I think is implied in a lot of what you said is by creating these remarkable customer experiences, word spreads and your brand is enhanced. So not only do you get more brand loyalty, you have an opportunity to expand your market share and actually grow your top line uh, from new customers is in addition just to retaining the old. So Keith, it, it brings up sort of an obvious question, which is you're the chief experience officer or head of digital marketing or chief revenue officer for an enterprise. What is it that you should be doing to really take your customer experience to a different level? Uh, again, a lot of different ways you can go about this. There's a, there's first thing, uh, number one, I'd probably try to take a step back. And if you don't have the team internally, bring in at least one consultant, like it could be a person or someone you trust to at least take a step back and understand all of the touch points. And the touch points are going to be, you know, they're going to be broader or more complex depending on the size of the organization, but it might be your retail stores. It might be your call center. It might be your website. It might be a mobile app or app applications you have. It might be a customer portal. There's a variety of different touch points that every single company has. So I think, first of all, you just have to really kind of map out what are all those touch points and what does the customer journey look like? So, Jay, if you, you know, if you want to go into a coffee shop for the first time, what does that experience look like from the very first touch point all the way through? Um, and, um, you know, again, as I said, it's like a restaurant. Do they remember you if you if you have been there before? Um are they giving you some loyalty programs uh, in some way? What does the payment system kind of look like when you're checking out? What does the follow-up look like? What does the return process look like if you have to do that? Uh, you know, there's just a variety of different ways um, that you have to think about, like all the different touch points of your customer. So I think you have to determine that first and then recognize like what is the, I guess, almost lowest hanging fruit. Like maybe what internally can we fix? Like let's maybe enhance the website a little bit or maybe let's enhance the technology a little bit or move to a better payment processing plan or maybe you know let's say in retail shipping because of amazon's become free we charge 7.95 maybe find a way to fix that i mean you, you look at the low-hanging fruit the things that are maybe creating the biggest pain point and fix those um and, and then again like starting to potentially to do it internally or bringing in a firm or outside 
uh, agency or someone consultancy to help you kind of tie all this together. It's like, it's like I talk about like with, um, if you hire a, a like interior designer for your home, you may have exactly the, the, the textures and the colors and the style that you like. But if you're trying to design your whole home, it really helps to have an interior designer tie all those things together. Well, have you thought about this particular tile? Have you thought about this particular material? Have you thought about this brand? I can get a deal over here for you. And so I look at an outside source as the same thing. One, they're going to give a more objective perspective for you, which is helpful, but they'll be able to tie all those things together. And while doing so, as I said before, help to break down some of the political silos, because the reality is that some departments just, you know, marketing and technology are very obvious ones. They don't always see eye to eye. So you need somebody to be like, I'm taking your, you know, needs in consideration and yours in consideration. Um, so, um, but I would say that, yes, it's, it should not be, uh, it should not be all at once. You have to kind of take small bite size, a small bite size approach to fixing this thing over time. And I also think that there is a change in mindset. So many companies are focused on customer satisfaction, NPS, but you really need to be thinking about where is the friction in how customers relate to us and where is their sacrifice? Because as soon as a competitor figures it out, that satisfaction they expressed goes to disfatted satisfaction because they have a different comparison point, a different anchor, and you need to get out ahead of that. Keith, that was fabulous. When we come back, we're going to find out about Keith and learn how he uh, developed this expertise and a little bit more what he does for his clients. Are you wondering how much longer you have to grind and chase for every lead conversation and client? Would you like clients to knock on your door so you no longer have to pitch, follow up, and spam decision makers? Well, Centricity's Category 1 program uses a proven five-step process that will help you get in front of the decision makers you need by spending less time doing all the things you hate. It's not cold calling, cold email, cold outreach on LinkedIn, or any other social media or even spending money on ads, but it does have a 35 times higher ROI than any of those things leveraging your expertise and insights at your prospects and network value. The best part, even though you'll see results in 90 days, you get to work with the Centricity team for an entire year to make sure you have all the pieces in place and working so you can start having freedom of time and a life outside of your business. So email time at centricityb2b.com to schedule an 18-minute call to learn more. We're back, guys. Uh, again, we've got Keith Scandone, co-founder and CEO of O3 World, a customer experience consultancy. Uh, Keith, tell us a little bit about the types of work you do for your clients. What are the key pain points that you deal with and some of the challenges that you have? Sure. So there's a few different uh, ways in which we, you know, typically work with clients sometimes. And as I said before, you know, the break, Jay, I mean, oftentimes it's just like one piece first. So it might be like this particular product that we have, digital product that we have that our clients really rely on. It could use some improvements. And a lot of that is we can enhance the user experience, you know, the design aspect of it. Um, or it might be that there's some technology kind of quirks. We could use some help there. So it typically starts with a product or let's say a large you know, website or something that they see in front of them. Our job is not only to fix that, it's to see beyond that, where are they sort of like more digitally bankrupt or could use some more help. So it's our job to kind of say, all right, you say you need this, we'll do this, but understand that this is just one piece of your entire customer journey. So this obviously is tying to all these different other pieces. 
So then we're going to try to help um, uh, give some advice or insight on these other other pieces. So again, it, it might be a product. It might be a website. Sometimes we are brought in to basically look at the entire customer journey and to do digital transformation kind of across the board. And that's a much more you know complicated and much more lengthy um, you know um, uh, project in, in that regard. Um, that's why I say to see where you need the help right now and then work with an expert to come focus on that, but just also be able to look at the ecosystem around you to see where they or somebody else can help. Because like for us as an example, we are, um, we're a customer experience consultancy. We are steeped in digital. We don't do everything. We don't do media buys. We don't really do branding. We don't do graphic design. We don't do you know search engine optimization. We're specialized, um, and so recognize that work with a partner that you um, that you trust that can do what they're very very good at, but then also have an ecosystem around them that like listen, I I recommend maybe these couple teams to look at for marketing or these couple teams to look at for branding or whatever that might be. So Keith, a wise old mentor once told me. Never uh, confuse experience and expertise. And as I like to say, people don't buy what you do. They buy how good you are at doing it. So, Keith, what makes you great, you and your company, at doing customer experience work? Well, so I'll even add to that, Jay. I think even, you know, I'd say that, you know, people hire people. Uh, So it's not just, you know, what you said. There's obviously has to be a, uh, you know, very tactical, strategic, tangible, um, you know, reason you're choosing somebody, but they also want to trust you. And I think that's one of the biggest things. I mean, our relationships, I mean, a, a couple of our longest standing relationships are clients we've had for nine years. Um, you know, uh, uh, so I, I really think that they trust us. I think the relationship building aspect is really, really critical. They don't expect us to kind of like, um, you know, uh, do project work come in, do the work, leave. I mean, and we don't, and we also look at it as like, we're looking at them as a partner. That partnership might be over time, Jay, is actually help them build a team and pass that work off to them. That, that means that we're being genuine, we're being honest, we're not just trying to make money off them. So I think that they, you know, I think the trust is the most important thing. Um, you know, hopefully with us being around for 16 years, uh, we've built up a good reputation in the, in the world. We build up good reputation with our clients. Um, but, uh, but I think it's mostly just by kind of doing, doing the right thing. And I, I think our, our philosophy is always to kind of improve upon ourselves. So, you know, one of our core values, and we kind of adjusted them slightly last year, um, but, but still is kind of, uh, it holds true to me. It's just kind of always growing. And I always looked at this as not only people inside of our organization, but the work that we provide as well. So we're slightly sort of pivoting. So if we're an innovative company, then hopefully clients, you know, want to work with us as well. I mean, we typically work best with progressive organizations and meaning they could be the, the most conservative companies in the world, but they have to be willing to do something progressive in their space. And Keith, I know from our past conversations, I think you guys also deliver a heck of a customer experience to your clients. And that is perhaps a pretty strong calling card. I thank you. I think so. But again, it, you know what? It's it's something that we constantly, constantly challenge with, uh, Jay. I mean, how can we be there for them that it is really a relationship, not just a, you know, I've always said, I don't want to look at it as a vendor. I, I want it to be a 51-49% partnership. They're 51 because they're paying and they're in control. But ultimately, we should really be treating each other with mutual respect, not being condescending one way or the other, like we're know-it-alls or because we're their vendor, they can cock down to us. I mean, it's really about that mutual respect and you're going to get way more out of each other. I mean, this is like a personal relationship. You have somebody kind of talking down to you all the time and nagging you, you're not going to be really happy. And it's the same thing in the professional workplace. 
Now, Keith, people can go to your LinkedIn profile. I encourage them to do so. Reach out, connect with you. And on your LinkedIn profile, we'll get a sense of your resume. But what LinkedIn doesn't ever answer, which I find really interesting, is not what you've been doing in your career, but why you've been doing it. So what are, you know, uh, one or two of the key, either personal or professional milestones that you experience, which is a big reason why you co-founded and are running uh, O3 World today? Sure. So, you know, what's not on my um, my LinkedIn um, is that after college, I spent six years in Los Angeles pursuing acting and, and did, you know, some acting and did some entertainment reporting and, you know, learned a heck of a lot about my, myself and the world of that industry enough to realize that I don't want to be in that industry. Um, but the, I think the biggest thing actually is that I wrote a play that was produced. And I think that experience uh, because I, I acted in it and I wrote it, but also I had to hire the other actors and the director. I had to do the set design. I had to promote the play. So there was a lot of elements that I basically was the producer of it. And I think that really kind of, number one, made me realize, okay, I kind of want to get out of this industry because there's really no rhyme or reason for it. it, it there's no formula for success um, in, in Hollywood. Um, but I also recognize that I don't just want to be in front of the camera. I actually kind of want to be behind it. I like, you know, I, and I realize in the business world now, um, while I have some strengths, I, I typically kind of look at myself as a generalist, um, you know, so even the work that we do, uh, you know, I'm not the one, you know, doing the, the work for our clients. I might be building the relationship, but I'm certainly not delivering the, the product like our, you know, our, our very um, uh, experienced uh, and outstanding team is doing. Um, so, so I think that was a big milestone after I wrote the play and I was produced, I soon after moved to Philadelphia, which is I was from the suburbs of Philadelphia. So that made me, that was a big milestone to change kind of what I was doing, uh, I think, I I in life. Um, and, and started the business really a couple of years after I got back. And honestly, Jay, because I didn't have a whole lot of options. I mean, you know, I had, I had, I had shifted to a whole other career in marketing that I got into and pitched the convention center, got a job and then worked with a small company. And the company, I wanted them to scale in a certain way and they didn't want to. And so just basically kind of looked at, why not do my own thing, our own thing, and just met a web designer and a web developer. So it kind of made sense. Let's just merge our marketing design technology kind of capabilities and start, you know, um, so it, it but, and, and could I have gotten a job maybe, but at that time, I mean, my, my resume was, was, was super thin in terms of this particular space. So, and I didn't have a family or anything like that. So there was a time to really be able to take a, take a risk. Um, so yeah, so I started it then and I would not recommend this to a lot of people. I did not really have much of a business plan. I was very kind of naive about the industry. Um, the good thing about that is I didn't have a lot of fear. If I did more research, I could have potentially been like, oh, that's very, very competitive. And I didn't. So again, not that I would recommend doing it that way, but that was one of the benefits for me. Um, so I think that was a big uh, turning point. And then just as an organization, um, a couple of years ago, I know we're a service organization, as we've discussed, but we have a ventures program, um, which is uh, really kind of an accelerator for, uh, for other small companies. Um, and that has uh, been really, really awesome because, you know, I think that I'm best as an entrepreneur. Uh, I'm best as starting new ideas. And that's an example of me being kind of branch out and us becoming a little bit of a product company for these organizations. And so that's been a real turning point as well, taking this sort of a little bit more traditional service model and then try to like mix in the kind of product, you know, adventures and VC side. So, and that's been number one, fascinating, rewarding to me. Uh, I mentor a lot of companies anyway, so it kind of works in that component. 
And there's just kind of the, you know, the financial, you know, aspect as well, which I'm kind of learning as I go. So I'd say there are some, there are probably a couple of really, really big uh, milestones or kind of turning points in my, in my life, and my career. Well, Keith, you've uh, really educated us and I think talked and supported your expertise in the customer experience world. You're a fascinating individual. That's a pretty powerful combination. I'm sure a lot of our listeners are thinking, well, how do I reach out to Keith? What is the best way for people to get in touch with you? Um, email is always the best, honestly. It's just Keith at O3World.com. And it's uh, the letter O um, as where our, our name stands for Ozone. Little, Not many people know that. Uh, so O3World.com or um, uh, on LinkedIn, as, as, as you mentioned as well, under Keith Skando. But uh, happy to hear from anyone that wants, wants to reach out directly, looking for some advice, some mentorships, some insights. Um, you know, happy to help. Fabulous. And we'll put your contact information in the show notes. Keith. Thank you so much. Uh, I come away a little bit smarter uh, about the whole customer experience journey. It's a great use of my time. I have no doubt it's been a great use of our listeners' time. Thank you again. And until next time, let's make it happen. Thank you, Jay.